The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. From Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and thank you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you're joining us, and as usual, we've got some great guests and a great topic today. I want to thank you also for participating, for sending me emails, for posting on Facebook, and do go to our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, like us there, and um, see what's happening there on the Facebook page. Thank you also for letting your friends, your family, the people in your recovery and your unity and other spiritual communities know about us here on the Spirit of Recovery. And I love hearing from you and knowing that what we're doing here is touching your hearts and minds and opening up new uh, ideas for you about how to keep your recovery and your spiritual growth developing. I love being able to broadcast here on the topic of recovery and spirituality on Unity Online Radio. And um, it's just a real joy to be able to do that. You can listen to us in a variety of ways. You can obviously listen to us live. You can listen on your computer. You can listen through your smartphone. And you can listen on demand um, at any time because we've got lots of archived programs. And just go to Unity Online Radio backslash program backslash Spirit of Recovery and you can access our archives. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community. We've got guests that are people who are down to earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. They are either people who are in recovery themselves or they're people who work with or write for or in this case uh, produce films about uh, the recovery process. And um, there are always guests that are bringing you practical information that you can use. And we have lively discussions that get you thinking The spirit of recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member, or you're the family member or friend with somebody with the disease of addiction, whether or not you're in recovery or whether or not they are, or you're just curious, looking for information about recovery and spiritual development, we welcome you here um, at the spirit of recovery. We welcome you as a listener and your participation. in the discussions with a question or a comment. Again, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And over 30 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and Uh, using the 12-step principles and spiritual development. And my walk is an integration of the unity and the recovery principles. That keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing. So I am grateful to have the opportunity to bring you guests and to share interesting ideas with you. Today we're talking about the topic of the spirituality of being human. And uh, I've got some fascinating guests here that have uh, really delved into that topic in a particular way. My guests today with me are Kevin Hanlon and Dan Carasino. They are filmmakers, first-time filmmakers, who have just made a documentary that came out about a year ago. Um, It's called Bill W., 
and it's about the founder or the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson. And uh, my guests, again, they're first-time filmmakers. They are not members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they want to make it clear that the film they've made neither uh, endorses or has any affiliation uh, with AA, and it's not meant to either criticize or promote AA in any way. They were simply deeply committed to telling an accurate history of the life and the work of Bill W. and the founding and history of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so uh, today we are going to be focusing on just the whole meaning of this film and the the, uh, sort of impulse behind it that Kevin and Dan had, uh, kind of what propelled them to make it, kind of what they comes out so clearly in the film. I've had the opportunity uh, to see it twice now. And uh, I just loved it because what does come across so clearly about Bill W. is that he was quite human and he knew it and that was really kind of what made it all work. And that through it, we get a real sense of what spirituality is really about and it sure is not about being perfect and it sure isn't about having no problems. That's not the point. So, um, Kevin and Dan, thank you so much for joining me here today on Spirit of Recovery. Oh, thanks very much for having us on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Great. Yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, the first question I have for you as, as we think about this today is what gave you the impulse to make this documentary? Well, I I think uh, the documentary really arose out of our friendship. Um, Dan and I have been friends for a very, very long time, and, and it was Dan who always had the wish to make a documentary film one day, and, you know, over the years he would say to me that he really wanted to do that and someday we would do it. Um, and we talked about it back and forth, but uh, about 10 years ago he got very serious about it, and... Um, when he started to push me to make a commitment to do it, I happened to be reading um, a history of AA, a book called Not God, um, and I just thought it was an incredible story. I mean, I, I, I just thought it was a really wonderful story. We looked into it and found out that nobody had ever made a documentary about Bill Wilson or the or the founding of AA. And... Um, you know, when we found that out, we just we we decided that it would make a great film, and we took the plunge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's uh, it's it has uh, definitely touched people's hearts and minds. I, it's really uh, gotten a lot of broad uh, uh, play out there, and um, it's I know that it's it's really gotten a buzz going just because it's because of uh, the story of Bill himself and and what he did. You know, the the thing that I liked about it uh, so much was that it definitely portrayed Bill in all of his humanness. So uh, tell us a little bit about that, about Bill, what you learned about Bill Wilson from making this film. Well, I, I think that one of the things that Kevin and I discovered that kind of surprised us was that Bill really, if you read the histories, they're mostly written by people in recovery, not all of them, and there's a sense of inevitability that when Bill meets Dr. Bob, the other co-founder of AA, for people listening who aren't familiar with the history, um, that the second they meet, they, they know they're about to go create what becomes Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's not the way it plays out. When you start looking into the history and you start reading some of the documents, when they first meet, it's more of an avocation for Bill. And really what he wants to do is what most people who get into recovery want to do when they're, when they're newly sober, and it's make up for lost time. It's this, it's this sense of regret and remorse that, hey, I'm almost 40 years old and I have squandered a great opportunity. And in talking to a lot of the people that we interviewed during the making of the film, and it took us eight years to make the film. We interviewed 70 people. A lot of them didn't make it in the film. But a lot of them shared with us this, this same sense of, here's how you feel when you're newly sober. And so Bill is, from, from the very beginning, Bill is behaving very much like every other alcoholic behaves or any other person who has felt this 
sense of remorse over some actions that they've taken earlier in their life. And um, he, he's, he's trying to make up for that lost time. And so that was... The, that was one of the first discoveries we made. And then we found other things about him that, if you read the history, it's like, oh, Bill wanted to always be in AA and always wanted to stay in it and give everything to it. And again, the truth of it is that he was really trying to get out from very early on to try to lead his own life. And I think some of that comes across in the film. Yeah, it really does. You're right. It, it's true. It's like from inside uh, the recovery community, it is. It's you kind of see it as, as you said, it's all unfolding. And look at that. And he must have known from the get go. But you're right. He didn't. He was just miserable. And in fact, at first, he really he just wanted to to get a job. He was. I mean, really, that's what led to him meeting Dr. Bob, as he was trying, of course, to make some money. He was trying to to get going again. And uh, see, you're right, it looks really different. You, you see all the foibles, kind of, from the outside. Yeah, and, and I, all the I, stuff that sort of makes sense, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, that period that Dan's talking about when Bill first met Bob, it's one, for me, it was one of the most poignant periods that we got to research that summer of 1935 because... Um, Bill is really broken, and, and Dan is absolutely right. He's very much concerned with making up for lost time and trying to make up things to Lois for what's gone on the previous 17 years. And the doubt that he has and the struggle that he's going through that summer in 1935 is, is really something else. I mean, um, it was not an easy period of time for him, and there was a lot of uncertainty, and, and he really didn't know what was going to happen to him in so many different ways. Um, so there's, looking back, there's always a sense of inevitability in hindsight. But at the time, um, you know, it was, a, it was a really tough period of time for him. Right, and he felt like a failure I, I, at, before he met Dr. Bob. In term, even, I mean, in the sense of, of trying to get something going with alcoholics, he was, I, th- I don't know that, quote, they talked about making a convert. I don't think he, quote, had made any converts. And, uh, I can't remember who it was, if it was Sam Shoemaker or whoever told him to cut it out, to quit trying to work so hard to convince him. Well, from from the point of view of making converts, he was a failure. He That first six months that he was sober, he says himself he didn't get a single other person sober. And it was actually not Sam Shoemaker, but Dr. Silkworth who told him that he believed the reason was he was going about it the wrong way. He was trying to impose on other people the same sort of spiritual, you know, that white light moment that he had had in the hospital. And Silkworth told him, you've you've got it backwards. Stop trying to get people to have the same kind of instantaneous conversion experience you had. And instead, tell them how bad things are. Tell them how sick they are. Tell them, you know, what 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 a really fatal malady this alcoholism is. Right. That's right. And so after he you know, met, got together with Dr. Bob, and you, you were talking about how hard it was. He, he spent that time in Akron, I don't know how long it was, what was it, a month or something, and um, Lois came out to visit, uh, and she really was unhappy because he, he was, she was like, get yourself back to New York. And uh, what did you learn about that time that he and Dr. Bob and uh, Ann Smith spent together? Well, there's a... Um the, the amount of time he goes there in May of 1935, and he doesn't leave until early September of 1935. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's a four-month period. And really what's going on is it's mostly a behind-the-scenes legal battle that he's fighting in order to get control of a small uh, publicly held company that's involved in tire manufacturing. So it has this sort of very prosaic and uh, unsexy kind of side to it. And in the meantime, he's met Dr. Bob, and he's met other alcoholics, and he's trying to get these people sober. And they're having they're having a similar sort of battle that they're going to have along the way. They're feeling their way through it. And a lot of, they have one guy, Kevin Wright, who tries to commit suicide or something, or is trying to get attention to himself, and he ends up jumping out a window naked out of the Smith's house. I mean, it was, a, it was a kind of a thing like 
Yeah, I don't think you wanted to be the Smith's neighbor during the summer of 1935. <laughs> um, a lot of crazy stuff was going on there. Uh, but so, yeah, Lois comes out, I think, sometime in July. She's been writing to Bill, like, get back here, miss you. And Bill is very intent on winning this winning control of this company because he's going to become president of it. He's going to make something of his life, and he plans on moving to Akron. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of these instances where had things turned out differently, uh, we're not on this radio show talking about Bill W. Um, That's right. uh, Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Kevin and I early on thought about possibly structuring the entire story around all these things that could have happened that didn't happen, Um, you know, from the moment in the hotel where he's debating whether or not to go into the bar to have a drink or make the phone call that leads him to meeting Dr. Bob, you know, to this, you know, to winning this proxy fight um, and getting control of that company because it's a very close vote. I mean, he almost does it. Mm -hmm. So... Um, he does that, and again, it's it's a whole different trajectory to the to the story. Yeah, I I, I really love what Dan's saying there because um, as he was talking, I was thinking to myself, I've I've come to see this as the beginning of uh, it's it's really almost like a laboratory they're setting up to learn what to do to help people get sober, and they don't even know that they're doing that yet. But um, the whole business about having I think it was Eddie R. is the guy Dan's talking about who actually threatened Ann Smith with a butcher knife at one point and scared her half to death. I mean, he was really crazy. But they let people like this move into their house, and after a while they learned that that was not the way to help alcoholics. But this was this whole period they were just doing whatever they could think of, and they were very practical. If something worked, then they would continue doing it, and if they saw that it didn't work, they would stop doing it. Um... But this is the beginning of them just sort of feeling their way through about how to help alcoholics. They have no idea at all that they're going to be forming something called AA. It's not not even on their radar at the time. You know, one of the things I really love, too, there's a letter that Bill writes to Lois where he's very clear with her that he wants to win the presidency of this company, and then he's going to move her from New York to Akron. It's 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 an example of a geographic. He says to her, you know, we'll... We'll get out of New York and all those terrible things that happened to me there, and, and you'll be a new woman in no time at all. All we have to do is get out here to Akron, and everything is going to be wonderful. And it just sort of shows me that he had that he was learning as he went along too, as to what you know was going was going to help him stay sober and help other people get sober down the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I know we, the subject of your show is spirituality, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you discover about these guys. Is that when they're in the, when they're in that home uh, when he's staying with Dr. Bob and Ann, they're reading through the Bible. They're, they're following the Oxford Group principles, and one of their favorite passages is out of James. I'm not I'm not a guy who knows the Bible, but I remember this from the research. And it's there's a line: "Faith without works is dead." Right. And that almost becomes their operating philosophy that their spirituality is very much a spirituality of action. And that, that's and it's something that they continue through with, you know, all the years that, they're, that they work together and beyond. Perfect. That is exactly right on. It's time for our first break. Thank you so much. Uh, my guests are Kevin Hanlon and Dan Carasino. They are the directors, the writers, the producers of the documentary Bill W., and we're talking about the spirituality of being human. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous love offerings of listeners like you. If you feel spiritually fed by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. We are all on the journey together, making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery, with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is the spirituality of being human. My guests are Kevin Hanlon and Dan Carasino. They are documentary filmmakers who uh, wrote, directed, and produced a new documentary called Bill W. It's a great uh, documentary. It includes never-before-seen archival footage. It's a wonderful story about Bill Wilson and um, his humanness and how his willingness to grow along spiritual lines led to the co-founding of Alcoholics Anonymous and truly the uh, help for millions of people around the world. And so we're talking about uh, what they've learned from making this film and what they, in a sense, learned from Bill W., Kevin and Dan make it clear that they are not members of Alcoholics Anonymous and that their film does not endorse or, or criticize AA, that their goal is simply to have uh, give an accurate history of the life and work of Bill Wilson. Before I get back to my uh, discussion with Kevin and Dan, I ask you to join me as we do every week for a brief moment of meditation, a brief moment of sharing a constructive idea in the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence um, of your higher power within you and around you, to take a breath and share with me this constructive idea. I'm grateful for my humanness with all of its challenges, and I'm willing to grow along spiritual lines so I might be of service to others. I'm grateful for my humanness with all its challenges. And I'm willing to grow along spiritual lines so that I might be of service to others. Let's just take a moment in the quiet.
Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that that was an opportunity, although a brief one, to allow your mind to become quiet and to feel that presence of that higher power that is always with us and within us. And so now we're back to my conversation with my guests, Kevin Hanlon and Dan Carasino, about the spirituality of being human and what they found out about that from making their documentary, Bill W. And also, if you'd like to learn more about uh, Kevin and Dan's work, you can visit their website, and that's www.page124.com. Their website is www.page124.com. So, uh, Kevin and Dan, we were having a great uh, conversation there before the break, and you were telling us again uh, how the AAs were early. They weren't AAs yet, um, but the early uh, people that uh, Bill Wilson and uh, Dr. Bob Smith were working with, and Ann Smith, Dr. Bob's wife, was sure a part of that, too, that they focused on faith, um, that their spirituality was a a spirituality of works and that using that passage from the book of James of faith without works is dead. So um, what were some of the other things that they were doing that to try to help alcoholics? Um, and also they were involving people that weren't alcoholics in their work. What did you learn about that? Well, the, 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 you know, from the very earliest days, the role of non-alcoholics in the, in, in, in both, you know, Bill's sobriety and the sobriety of the early members, the early pioneers, and also the the whole forming of AA, it, it was just crucial. Um, even the uh, very first, what most people would consider the first AA meeting, which was essentially an Oxford group meeting that went on in Akron, uh, that that really focused on alcoholics, that was held in the home of. Um, uh, uh, can't remember his first name. His name was Williams. He was a non-alcoholic member of the um, Oxford group in Akron who opened his home up to all these drunks to have a, a weekly meeting on Wednesday nights. Um, and it went, you know, Dr. Silkworth was not an alcoholic, and without Dr. Silkworth, there'd certainly be no AA. And it and it continues right through the connection. The um, the people from uh, the Rockefeller philanthropies who were so instrumental in getting AA off the ground were non-alcoholics, but they, they, they recognized the value of what Wilson was trying to do, and um, I think they also recognized that he was practicing certain spiritual principles in this very pragmatic, hands-on work that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And certainly Sister Ignatia was uh, obviously a Catholic nun who worked in uh, Dr. Bob's uh, hospital where he was, uh, where he practiced. She had a lot to do with it, too. What did y'all learn about her? Uh, she was actually very tough on women. Um, it, it, one of the things that we found that was absolutely fascinating about Bill W. is how tolerant he is towards others, he, he doesn't have a racist bone in his body. He doesn't have an anti-Semitic bone in his body. He doesn't have a chauvinistic bone in his body. Um, and so early on, it, it's, a funny, it's a funny thing. You're bringing up Sister Ignatian. I'm going to this thing where there's actually some resistance to having women in AA, but that was a true thing in early AA. Um, mm-hmm. Again, they have some pretty, you know, looking back, pretty hilarious stories, and I've never been able to find the primary source on this one, but there's an apocryphal Well, I don't know if it's apocryphal. There's a story out there that one of the first women who joined AA was caught having sex with another early member of AA in Dr. Bob's office. Right? Isn't that the story, Kevin? Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's, that story is in Dr. Bob and the good old timers. Um, okay. Yeah. I think I think Doctor Bob is playing cards one night, and he gets a call telling him that this is going on in his office. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, there's a lot there's a lot of resistance that if you have women involved, it's gonna it's gonna lead to the men losing their sobriety. And mm-hmm. Bill won't have any of it. He's it, it, it's always everybody should be allowed to be involved. Um, I think we even have a letter where some people are raising questions with Bob about whether or not. It should be 
a Christian movement. And mm-hmm. he and he shoots Bill a letter, I think, and he says, "Now, what do you think of this?" And we don't we don't see an answer to it in a letter, but you see the answer in the obvious outcome of how things played out, and that it was never overtly Christian. It was always about making. I, th- I think one of the guys in our film talks about this, and he says it's you know making the tent as big as possible, getting people under as much of the umbrella as possible, so that it was a very very inclusive. Um, Fellowship and and from my standpoint, that's all Bill W. Mm-hmm. Right, because there were yeah. pressures various along the way where people were trying to put clamp down one way or the other. Go ahead. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I just wanted to add to what Dan was saying, and I'll come back to to the point you're making about that. But um, you know, we I, I know myself. I've gotten a lot of comments from people about the film, saying how happy they are that we showed how human Bill was, but sometimes they also put it this way, you know, that, that we showed him with all his flaws and all his foibles and all of that. Um, but I, I remind people sometimes, you know, yeah, Bill certainly had his flaws and he certainly had his weaknesses, but, you know, I, I would take his ratio of weaknesses to assets any day of the week because he, he really, in, in just the way Dan is talking about, he was a person who was willing to give of himself uh, you know, in a way that probably few other people would have been willing to do. And he showed a certain, he, he really did practice the principles of tolerance and love in almost everything he did. Um, I don't mean that he did any of that perfectly, but that, that was, well, you know, there was somebody we interviewed for the film who said that Bill Wilson was the type of guy that if you were broken down by the side of the road, your car was broken down, he was definitely the guy that would pull over and see if he could help you. And I think... You know, in a much broader sense, that was true of him until the day he died. He was very, very consumed with alcoholics who weren't getting sober and what else could be done to help alcoholics. And this kind of leads into what you were saying. There was always pressures on him to try and create more rules and more regulations and to tighten things up. And he very much was willing to take the risks that came along with with leaving the door as wide open as possible and making the tent as broad as possible to see how we could help as as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. What do you think it was? Um, again, there's no real answer to this, but how did he get that way, uh, being such a tolerant person and one that was committed to being loving? How, it, well, it is remarkable. And again, like I said, it's not perfect, you know, but he was, how do you think he got that way? I think he was born that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got to read some of the early letters that he has to Lois. And in one of them, I remember reading it and I thought, Bill, this is a spectacularly bad idea. <laughs> I can't believe you're doing this. And he was writing to Lois about other women that he'd kissed or something, right? <laughs> like, they're, mm-hmm. they're engaged, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, I can't imagine writing this to my fiancé, right? Said, mm-hmm. right this, is, this is really a bad idea, Bill. But, <laughs> so, he's, so he's writing to her, but, but he gets talking about how he, he, played, he played the fiddle while he was at Norwich University. It's a, it's a military college in Vermont. And... He was a pretty good. He was a pretty good violinist, fiddler. You know, depending, I guess, on the style. It, it, that's what determines what you call the instrument. But he would call it a fiddle, and, and he would and he would play at these things. And I guess it was true then, as it's true now. If you play in a band, there are certain women who are attracted to musicians, right? Mm-hmm. So there was this woman who approached him, and he and he talked about this story, and he found out that she was a prostitute. And he's writing to Lois about this, and he says to her, in very sympathetic terms about what happened to this woman, and how this could happen really to anybody, and how we must be kind to these people. And, and I got the very distinct impression that he did not take advantage of this girl. He didn't do anything untoward or anything like that. He was just basically talking about how life can be unequal and unfair to some people and how difficult, how difficult it can be for some people. And, and that's why he just has this, he's a naturally empathetic human being because he comes out of circumstances where other people would be very bitter. I mean, his father leaves 
when he's 10 years old. His mother essentially leaves him a few years later, um, takes, her, takes his only sibling with her when she goes to Florida at one point, which could make him feel very um, embittered and very uh, alone, and why, why did you leave me behind? But he, he's, not, he's not that kind of guy. He, um, he's, a really, he's a really very kind and compassionate man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, these letters, this letter that Dan is referring to was written when Bill was probably 18 or 19 or, you know, a very young man. There's a, there's a similar one where he's writing to Lois about the topic of smoking. And I remember him saying to her that he, he hopes she never smokes because it's not a good habit and he wishes he, does, he didn't have it. But he says, he says that he doesn't agree with people who think that women shouldn't be allowed to smoke. He, you know, at a very early age, he had this, what seems at the time to be a remarkably um, open mind towards other people, towards women, towards, you know, people, people being on equal footing with one another. And it, as Dan says... Given the background he came out of, you know, you might not expect that of him, but he, it just seems to have been something that was innate with him. Mm-hmm. And one thing I learned in, from your film is that he and Lois had very high ideals and high aspirations uh, for themselves, I guess, as individuals, and that was a part of, uh, as a couple, what bonded them. Tell us more about that. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I thought you were going to say something, Dan. Um, I think they both did. Lois was the uh, the the eldest child of a very well-to-do doctor in uh, in Brooklyn, New York, and she grew up with a fairly privileged. I mean, actually, a, a, a very privileged uh, childhood. She uh, went to some very good schools, and I think that she just had very high standards set for her naturally by her family. Um, and Bill came from a very similar thing. After his parents kind of left him, he was raised by his grandfather, but his grandfather instilled those same kind of expectations in him. Uh, one, one thing that you see in Bill's life, <clears throat> people talk about Bill having a big ego, which I, I'm sure he did in a lot of ways, but I've come to think of it as having been very much compensatory because in a lot of ways he was filled with self-doubt, and in a lot of ways, I think he he was always worried that he wouldn't live up to the standards that he felt his grandfather had set for him and that he wound up setting for himself. Um, but early on in the letters back and forth between them, you really do see that. They, they you know, they have great hopes for their future. And they, I mean, <laughs> the, the one that really stands out in a way is that early on they both say that they're not going to drink together as they go forward because you know both of them have sort of been taught that uh, that that drink is a bad thing and um you know it's just one of the principles that they that they hope to live by but it's a it's it's a very ironic one given the story that unfolds right yep did you get a sense that uh that by the end of bill's life that he felt that he had fulfilled his destiny You know, he's. I, I think he was very grateful for the life he lived, but I think there was a sense of um, frustration with him um, that he was never able to escape the orbit of AA that he created in a way. It's sort of like he, he built himself a prison of sorts. And, and, and it's... I, I, Prison's a harsh word, maybe. I think he's very. I think he has a great sense of satisfaction in having helped others, and I think that's something that he would not have changed. But by the same token, I don't think he knew going into it just how consuming it was going to be, and that he wouldn't be able to pursue other passions that he had. Uh, The the man loved business. I mean, he loved business, And, and I think he probably would have made a fantastic CEO and would have loved to have been a CEO. Um, but he didn't get to do it. And I think, I think at the end of his life there was some, some regret about that. Thank you. It's time I, for I a break here. I, Hang on. It's time for a break. Hold that thought. 
And my, I'm here with my guests, Kevin Hanlon and Dan Carasino, talking about the spirituality of being human and their documentary, Bill W. We'll be right back and uh, talk some more about the spirituality of being human. Stay with us. Reverend Paulette Pipe's voice has been called mesmerizing, the sound of spirit expressing in soothing honey tones. If you're one of the loyal listeners who tune in each week for her program, Touching the Stillness, you already know the power of her meditations. If her programs leave you wanting more, purchase one or both of her meditation CDs, Touching the Stillness, her first CD, and the newly released Resting in Stillness. This latest CD combines Paulette's alchemic voice with an original score by pianist Kelly Hunt and will transport you to a place of divine peace. Enliven your meditations with Reverend Paulette Pipe as your guide and take her soothing voice and peaceful presence with you wherever you go. Get your copy today. Go to www.unity.org and then click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on Shop at the top of the page. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. And now, here's Anna. Back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, my topic is the spirituality of being human. And my guests are Kevin Hanlon and Dan Carasino. And they wrote, directed, and produced the new documentary, Bill W., which is um, a wonderful portrait of Bill Wilson and and how very human he was and how his willingness to grow along spiritual lines, not to be perfect, but to grow and to share that with other people truly has changed uh, for the better the lives of millions of people. And if you would like to read more about Kevin and Dan's work, you can visit their website at www.page124.com. That's P-A-G-E-124 dot com. So now I'm back with my guests, uh, Kevin Hanlon and Dan Carasino. And um, right before the break, we were talking about, uh, I'd asked whether or not Bill was, you felt he was fulfilled at the end of his life. And we were talking about uh, the idea of uh, he felt fulfilled with AA, but maybe not so fulfilled in other aspects of his life. Kevin, you had some comments about that. What would you say about that? Well, the the only thing I wanted to add about it is, I mean, I I know that he felt, you know, an enormous sense of satisfaction with what he had been able to do with AA. But um, I think he, he... Part of what we discovered as we were making the film was that the, the the personal sacrifice he had to make on behalf of AA is probably much greater than most people realize or most people know about. You know, Bill didn't advertise it and, and didn't wear it on his sleeve, but he really had to give up almost all of the sort of personal aspirations he would have had earlier in his life. And uh, I think that probably left him feeling some frustration. I also think... In some ways, Bill, deep down, was a was a, a seeker or a searcher. He was always looking for the next thing, or always looking for what was beyond the, the place he was at at the moment. And um, you know, I think you see some of that. We, you know, we were talking about how how very difficult the last six months of his life was were because of the, uh, the you know the the physical illness he was suffering from, emphysema. So, 
It was mm-hmm. it was really a very sad end to his life because of the way he died. Mm-hmm. And and I want to come back to that uh, in a little bit later. And before we get to that, tell us about some more about that seeking. He uh, cultivated relationships with um, some priests and ministers, Father Ed Dowling, I believe Reverend Sam Shoemaker, probably some others. What did you learn about uh, his relationship with those people and about his seeking uh, for spiritual development? Kevin is very familiar with Father Dowling, so I'll let him talk about that. Okay. Okay, well, um, you know, from the very beginning, when when Bill Wilson first met Father Dowling, I mean, apparently it was a... um, just a watershed event in his life. He describes it in such glowing terms. Um, he, he met Father Dowling when he was in, in very much in a, in a dark place. AA had been around for several years, and, and you know, at the time, Bill and Lois were living in an attic room above the AA clubhouse on 23rd Street in, in New York City. And uh, Bill was very, very down. He had sacrificed just, you know, he and his wife were homeless for the sake of AA, and uh, he was he was really struggling with his own personal circumstances. And Father Dowling walked into his life, and um, in some ways, I think it was really. And this is very interesting because Dowling was not an alcoholic, but in almost every way imaginable, Wilson describes Dowling as a sponsor. That's really, in some ways, what I think Father Dowling became to Bill Wilson. Um, one of the most striking things I, I remember from the research uh, after Father Dowling died at, at his annual anniversary dinner in New York, uh, Bill Wilson was giving a talk and he mentioned Father Dowling and he said uh, something along these lines. I don't remember it verbatim, but he said that uh, Father Dowling had had nothing to do with him getting sober, but Father Dowling had had everything to do with him staying sober. And the reason was... He was able to keep himself very well ventilated because he told everything about himself to Father Dowling. And I just found that very moving because uh, I think Bill Wilson really probably couldn't have found a sponsor in AA. I mean, who, who, who was going to be Bill Wilson's sponsor? But I think he found a real sponsor figure in somebody who was a non-alcoholic. Mm-hmm. What do you think he got from Father Dowling that... Um, that- touched him so much and you said one is obviously he was able to as share with him everything as you said what else do you think he got from him well this is a little bit of speculation but i i often think you know um it's true dowling was not an alcoholic but father dowling suffered from rheumatoid arthritis and even in some of the photos of him you can see how very badly crippled he was by this um, and it reminds me of a line, it's actually from the book Not God, but um, the line is that, that AA is based on mutual vulnerability openly shared. And I, I think there was just something about Father Dowling that allowed Bill to open up about his own vulnerability. He was probably able to tell Dowling about his own doubts and his own fears, things that might have been really hard to tell other people in AA because they had such expectations of Bill I think people in AA probably didn't really want to hear about him either being afraid or shaken up or, you know, he went through terrible periods of depression that uh, I think left a lot of people in AA frightened because they, they counted on him so much. And I think in some ways he might have been able to lean on Dowling because Father Dowling didn't have those kinds of expectations. Dowling maybe didn't have to put him up on the pedestal the way other people in AA did, you know, no matter how much Bill protested and and almost begged people not to do that. Right. I think the other thing that Dowling gives him is a perspective on this very unusual conversion experience that Bill has. Not conversion experience, but this white light experience. You know, he goes from being a man who craves alcohol, who's had beer, you know, just a few days earlier and gotten drunk in a hospital, to having that desire lifted from him. He, he has a, a, a soul on the road to Damascus experience. I mean, it's really that sudden for him, and it's very unusual and very rare. Um, and I think there's an expectation with that from the person who has it that somehow this is going to lead to um, pro- profound and lifelong happiness. And 
what it really leads to is a, a, a lot, oftentimes a, a, a sense of um, yearning and being unfulfilled, and it's kind of this paradoxical reaction that people have to it. And, and Dowling is able to put that in perspective for him. And I, I think, what's the quote we have in the, in the film from Ernie in that, Kevin, about um, this thirst, will it ever go away? And Dowling's answer is, no, never, Bill, because we're meant to thirst. The question is, where do we aim what we thirst for? And, and I think that really it deepens Wilson's understanding of that experience and sort of what, what the future holds for him. Mm-hmm. I love that because it, it puts to uh, the lie uh, that, that concept that unfortunately I think people try to sell sometimes in some uh, – in various – in any spiritual circle, that idea that somehow you can have some kind of an instant – switch and that means you'll never uh, hurt again or anything and that is not real spirituality what y'all have just described about bill and father dowling that's real spirituality those experiences all they do is open up the door for you to see what might be possible what what you really thirsty for and to hopefully begin to give you some sense that you can improve yourself to to live a little more fully that's a I, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I'm 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 certainly no Buddhist, but there's 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 one Buddhist saying I remember. It's the only one I know, and it goes something like this: Before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. And I I, I think it's a really important thing. This point you're making that people are people. It's just human nature. They're looking for some sudden fix and then hoping that they're not going to have any problems or struggles after that. And I think in many ways that one of the great things about Wilson's life is how much he has to struggle with things after his sobriety and and how much he's willing to do that and how the example he sets of dealing with reality in his sobriety, even when it's, you know, in some ways more difficult than what he had to deal with before he got sober. Mm-hmm. You know, Dowling, Dowling had a favorite poem that he would read from, and it was, um, he calls him a minor poet. I've never heard of him, Robert Browning Hamilton. And the poem, I think, is called Along the Way. And the verse that he liked was, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And I think yeah. that's the thing that he gets from, from Dowling, you know, because he suffers from depression. Just Dowling gives him this fantastic perspective about the depth of life that you can get from, from pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, if you're willing to learn from it. Y'all have a fantastic story. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just real quickly, what I wanted to add is that that in in all the research we did, I mean, we read hundreds, probably maybe even thousands of of documents that Bill wrote and letters he wrote to people. But I I found this so moving. Often when he wrote to people, he was forced by the sheer volume of the correspondence to write, you know, short one-page letters. But... When other, you know, and, and for a long time he hid the fact that he was suffering from depression because he thought that that would injure AA. But in the 50s, he began to let people know about it. And to his great surprise, many, many alcoholics wrote to him and said that they had experienced the same thing, that they got sober and they were doing really well in early sobriety, and then they were hit with a depression. And in, in, invariably, when he writes back to somebody who's, who's writing a letter to him about suffering from depression, it's, it's not a one-page letter. He writes, you know, he writes longer letters to those people, and he, t- and he lets them know how much he suffered from it, and he always tells them that there's some hope on the other side if, if, if they can deal with this and get through it. But I always found it very moving, um, you know, how touched he seemed to be by other people Telling them, telling him that they had suffered from this same thing that that had caused him so much pain. Mm-hmm. And that really gets back to the roots of AA and what you were saying about you know the shared vulnerability, what Father Dowling advised him, and that really is the shared vulnerability and a common solution. That's the root of the the twelve step program, and he really lived that. 
He really, really did. Well, some of your listeners may be wondering, you've given our website a couple of times. It's page124.com, and some people may wonder what the page 124 refers to. And it's mm-hmm. one of our favorite quotes. Um, Kevin was the one who had the idea of using this. And, mm-hmm. and the quote is, and this is from the book Alcoholics Anonymous, cling to the thought that in God's hands the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And it's sort of to me that when Kevin said, let's use page 124 as the name of the company, and then he told me why, you know, what, what was on that page, I just thought, you know, even from the little I knew about AA and about Bill W. at that point, I knew that that was sort of summing up what this whole thing was going to be about. Absolutely. It really does. Unfortunately, our time is just about up, and we're some things we didn't get to talk about, but maybe I'll get you back and get you talking about those things, but... And just two few, few words a bit. What what are you what are y'all taking with you from having made this movie? How has it touched you? Well, it's made I, me a more tolerant person. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that's uh, I, I would agree with that. And I think for me, in some ways, um, it's made me see my own myopia, spiritual and otherwise, and 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 shown me that that sometimes there's hope out there even when I least think there's any possibility of it. Thank you both so much. My guests, Kevin Hanlon and Dan Carasino, um, makers of the documentary Bill W., talking with me today about the spirituality of being human. Thank you so much, Kevin and Dan, for being with me. It's just been a great, uh, great show. Appreciate it a lot. God bless. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. God bless you listeners, and we'll be back next week with the Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Have you ever considered that everything you think and say is a prayer to the universe? Are you sending a positive or negative message? Join Rev. Beverly Molander and her guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on this message from Daily Word. Is something in your life causing you concern? Don't be discouraged. The presence of God is peace and harmony, healing and creative ideas, is with you every moment of every day, providing the help you need. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. You are a spiritual being, blessed with all that you need for happiness and fulfillment. God's wisdom will guide you. God's strength will help you do all that you need to do. And God's joy will lighten your heart with hope and courage. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? 
Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.